I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. And behind me, two very special guests. Go to the two shot. There it is, or three shot. My daughter, Cassidy, is standing there in the yellow, if you couldn't tell. And next to her is a young man named Matt. And Matt has asked Cassidy to marry him. Yay! So we're going to have a marriage coming up uh, in November of this year, 2017. And uh, we start off the show with whatever and whoever. And uh, so this is them. Great to have them. I get to perform the marriage, too. He does. Yeah. Love, Love you, too. Sean. Love you, too. Awesome. All right. And why don't we just start with a prayer. God, help us. Be with us. Help us to know you. And... Uh, Talk about important things this first show of the year in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to start off with a spot you've seen before, but take a look at this. Like a growing tree. We've gone through some stages in our approach to doing church. For the past few years, we've remained at campus. Christian anarchists, meaning to prayerfully understand scripture. After everything has been said and done, we find this last acronym far too limiting. After all, he is probably the only Christian anarchist in North America. So after 10 years, campus today, and hopefully for the decades to come, should be known as Christian meeting to prayerfully understand scripture. Come as you are. A lot of people take that last one very seriously here. They make sure they live up to it. Christian asses, meaning to prayerfully understand scripture. Anyway, the reason I wanted to show that to you is we want to encourage, I want to encourage something that I've never heard. I'm sure it has been talked about. And that is in your Christian walk, 
in every walk, but in your Christian walk, that's what we talk about here, uh, consider getting into and exercising some creativity into the arts of some sort, uh, some form of creation. We're, we're made in God's image. God is the great creator, unbelievable creator. And uh, so I want to emphasize this. Not only I enjoy art, but I've discovered that trying to express things artistically, whether it's in forming things, in, in, in musicians, uh, there, we know some filmmakers, uh, fine arts, poetry, cooking, uh, metal, whatever it is, whatever draws you in, ceramics, uh, there's therapeutic benefits to it. And we don't hear it talked about much in the faith. I don't know why. I know there are Christian artists, but we just don't. And it doesn't have to be statues of Jesus. It can be something else, uh, whatever it is, you know. And so it's rarely promoted and uh, for reasons unknown to me. Uh, so maybe I should use creator creation. Art can be so loosely interpreted and narrowly defined, but those who watch us and follow us now and in the future, I'd encourage you to try to set aside some time in your life and start dabbling. We had a guy named uh, Carlos in Arizona. He's been sending me some uh, oil paintings he's been doing, and we're starting to put things up on the walls. Danita, she did some stone work and some words on stone that we put up, and then we have so another... Uh, friend who did an oil painting over here showing uh, two ladies ascending into flames of God rather than uh, falling into them in the terrible way that this was a very positive thing. So what different it is, but one that might make a difference in your world. It might help you in your Christian walk. And uh, finally, if you have any of the works that you like and you want to display them, send them to us and we'll put them up in the church studio. And uh, we welcome that. Everybody wants to have their stuff shown, so feel free to do that. Anyway, just a New Year's uh, suggestion. All right, it is New Year's. It's the 3rd of January. Tonight is a show, and I'm just going to take the time to lay this out because uh, it's going to help form the entire year. And uh, let's get to the heart of the matter really once and for all. Several decades ago, I really got into reading Henry David Thoreau in Walden and then uh, Civil Disobedience. And I discovered this famous quote from him. There are thousands hacking at the branches of evil to the one who is striking at the root. Thousands hacking at the branches to the one striking at the root. So in preparation for 2017 and seeing very, that very few people were willing to be guests on the show, we put the invitations out there. Uh, I started remembering that quote and that quip from uh, Thoreau. And after a few months, I started to give it some real consideration. And I have to admit that that's what I've been doing for a number of years. I've been hacking at the branches and uh, not striking at the root. And worst of all, and I have to admit this, I, I did this on purpose. The purpose that I have to admit is kind of embarrassing. One, I wasn't totally sure what the root was. Uh, but secondly, it was plain old fear. And I, I was afraid. When I realized this, I had to ask myself, why, self? What are you fearing? What, self, do you fear? And so what was keeping me from striking, really, really striking at the root? And, and so in reply, I discovered that, first of all, I fear or feared losing grounding with Christ as I've come to know him. I feared that 
in striking at the root, I might wander off into some real esoteric fields and ramble on in all kinds of mysticism or philosophies. And, you know, before long, I'll be sitting there. I don't know. I fear doing that. I don't want to lose my first love. And something tells me, you know, if I start getting out there too far, that could happen. And so I've been afraid of it. And similarly, I also fear of getting in a deep end and not even knowing I'm there. And people accuse that of me now and of others, that you've gone so far, you don't even know that you're being boiled in that pot. Uh, you're like a lobster, the heat's been turned up. And so I also realized that I'm afraid I was and am a little bit afraid of being relegated as a heretic my entire life and being alienated from the Christian community forever more. Um, you know, a believer can only take so much of that alienation, and there's something about us, you know, that we want to maintain ties with people who have like-minded beliefs. I want to be friendly with. I don't want to be at odds with people who believe in Jesus and who hold him up as someone who's important to them. I don't want to be at odds with them. I want to be in fellowship with them. And uh, so I want to keep one foot in the door, and I feared that if I go right at the root, I'm going to even have that shut off completely. So these things are all real, real fears. When you really love the Lord and you love others, you want to be responsible because you believe you're doing something in his name, so to speak, and you don't want to wander off and become a lunatic, etc. And so nevertheless, once a person wanders off, uh, uh, the road of stasis and the road of tradition, once you wander off too far, it's easy to get lost meandering on those paths, and in the end, you can go off. Uh, so it's a very frightening state to, to me, and I've always known it's there. So at the same time, I know I've been guilty of just hacking at the branches, and due to these fears, I've resisted the need to uncover and then really, truly get at the root. And that root, I know it, what it is. I know it's there. And I just haven't gone and tried to get it yet. And so here we go, 2017. I hope you'll stay with us because we have to first kind of unearth the core issues and principles that are in place to protect the root, the roots, and uh, before we can hack them out of the cold, hard ground. And as you're well aware, our purpose began and continues to be to reach to the LDS with the good news that they might know God and the only, His only uh, begotten Son, Jesus. But in the course of doing this, we have also seen the need to expose uh, and discuss the practices and teachings within the Christian world, which have become so uh, strange to me as we've really looked at them. And we've seen this as a means to, we've been doing this as a means to warn our LDS friends who are coming out of Mormonism and looking for a relationship with God to don't just step out of Mormonism and step into modern American evangelicalism because you're going from the frying pan into the fire, in my estimation. And so be careful of that. And institutional uh, religion writ large should be, you should be very wary of it. And so we've, I've realized that, and that's, that, that's been growing. But we've tried to get to the root of things, and once again, just have not really touched the core problem, which once understood and chopped at, struck, will help kill the entire tree. Kill the entire tree, yes. Kill the entire tree. I would say kill the freaking tree. Kill the tree. Um, so 
there's the first admission I have that I've been afraid to say. I've kind of alluded to it, touched on it, but I hope that somehow what we do will help, and I know this is far-fetched, kill institutional religion once and for all. I hope someday this will help do it. Kill Mormonism, kill Catholicism, kill Protestantism, kill whateverism. I hope someday our people, human beings, will say, no more. I can start to see that happening. When I start to see corporations and things raising money for the poor within their ranks and for the needy and the starving and the hungry, and the churches are out there trying to do the same thing. Pretty soon, I think corporate America is going to take over benevolence, and, and the churches are going to be left holding the bag of, now what do we do? We, we can't collect money for the poor anymore. The corporations are taking care of that. So it's one big, fat, impossible goal. I get that. I admit it openly. I hope, though, I hope and work towards seeing all of it deconstructed, assets sold. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see all the assets of those major institutional religions sold off, power bases lost, power shut off, and people, however, wandering out from the rumble, emancipated from what they've been trapped in in those religions, but not losing the king, not losing the need to follow him and worship him and believe in him on their own terms as they read and study the Bible with friends or however it would work. So while I admit that my hope is virtually impossible, in the meanwhile, we, I've, I've been playing along and I've been saying, you know, we got to give all the brick and mortars a chance. I, we call it subjective Christianity. In the end, it is. But so with it, as the institutions are still around, we have to say, well, if the Catholics want to believe that, they can. The Mormons want to believe that, they can. The question is, who is Jesus to you? And we just have to get along with what we get along on and have to set the other differences aside. That's what we're doing in the interim. But in the, in the long-term goal, to me, I would love to see the deconstruction, the liquidation, and using those funds in a concerted effort to do something better for this world, rather than have empty churches sitting on some of the best real estate in the country, empty most of the time, and waiting to be filled up on Sundays so people can feel like God's happy with them in order for them to leave and not do anything else. So in its place, I hope to see those who love the Lord freely gathering in low overhead places, even public parks or whatever. Uh, gently studying the word, living the faith as they see it, as they, they study it and hear about it, they choose how they want to do it. Not corporately, not objectively, but individually and subjectively. If there can be a groundswell for that, that is what we hope for. Even some of the most religiously inclined people on this earth know there's a disconnect between what we are teaching and doing in the churches today, what we've surrounded ourselves with, and what Jesus taught. There is a huge disconnect between the two. They know it, but they just find themselves justifying the discrepancies in the name of the good that the churches do, all the good that they do. But I'm not so sure if we really step back and analyze it, it's really doing good the way it's set up. So I started thinking and I got my head back into some of the stuff I studied decades ago, way back in my lost years relative to mass movements and manipulation and the core motivations behind such things. And the theme is really at the heart of hacking at the root. What are the motivations 
of the powers that be, whether known or admitted, it doesn't matter, but what are the motivations for them to do what they do? And by getting to the root of these motivations, thriving in institutional phase, we can effectively then start hacking at the root. Now, realizing this, I know that there, I think there's some sort of form, Plato called them forms, that hover over the world and he said, those are what are guiding human beings. They're invisible forms by which we make all of our decisions. And, but I think there's some, in, if it's not a form, maybe there's an unspoken system like Hegel or Marx talked about there being a system that is governing the history of human beings and it's in, it's in play within the religion. Uh, maybe there's a spirit to it. Maybe there's a zeitgeist. We've heard of that movie. Maybe there's a spirit of the age that governs people who are... Uh, empowering, empowered in these religions. And they're governed by that spirit and they don't even know what it is. It looms over and governs. All the way from the small little white church in the country, um, led by some dogmatic country pastor, to the Catholic church, or the LDS church, or the Calvary Chapel empires, you know, all the way down, there is something operating at the core of these brick and mortars, something that moves and causes them to do what they do, whether the players are aware of them or not, it doesn't matter. So maybe it's kind of like when you get involved in something and you really like it and you enjoy it and you participate and you give your all and you volunteer, but you're really not sure what it is about that that you really love yet. That's what I'm talking about. So that's kind of how I discovered uh, punk music. I have older brothers and sisters and I cut my teeth on all their music, loved it all. But when I heard the first chords of punk, that was it. I loved it. I knew this was the music for me, but I didn't know why. I didn't know what it was about it. That was it. And maybe there's something that's governing people in power. They don't know what it is. I'm not saying they're worshiping some weird spirits. They don't even know what it is, but that's what we want to hack at. What is it that's motivating them? So... It's going to take some digging and some uprooting to figure it out. And this is what it is with institutional religion. I would suggest that more often than not, most people, even at the top, all the way down to the pew level, are probably essentially unaware of why they are doing and believing and following and going to church every week, why they are pastoring. I know most of them probably believe because they love God. I believe that, that they really want to serve God. And they've stepped into the shoes of how to serve God based on a model that has been handed down for centuries, never really stepping outside of that and just and, and really challenging it, hacking at the, the, the root. So I admit that in all probability, uh, that is the heart of what's going on in the brick and mortars. So the first thing I want you to ask yourself tonight, just this is we're going to work through this together as the first show for the year. In preparation, is there any difference, ask yourself, between God and Jesus and the churches that claim to represent them? Now you just, that's a rhetorical question. Ask yourself, is there any difference between God and Jesus and the churches that claim to represent them? Okay? Now, uh, if you ask a Latter-day Saint that, who knows their stuff, they would say, no, there's no difference. To go to the LDS church, to support the church, to make covenants through that church and follow that church, it's the same as following Christ and God. There is no difference. 
That's how it would normally come out from most LDS who ardently uh, adhere to the faith. Now, listen closely to what I'm trying to explain. If there is not one bit of difference between God and Christ and the church you attend, I should just put this away and just start teaching the Bible and not even talk about these things, right? Uh, and I should quit. I should go find what church that is that's the same as God and Christ, that one true church, as the LDS say, and go and give my all to it. Because if it represents them, I should be in that church doing it. But it seems it can only be one, you know. It can't be a bunch of them unless God is multifaceted, and I believe that would be possible. But if there are differences, if there are differences between the living God and his only begotten son, Jesus, and the churches or religious institutions that claim to represent them, we are led to a, a next question. What are they? And I want to give you tonight some of the ideas, I think. Ask yourself that question. What is the difference between God and your relationship to God and the church that you attend? What are the differences? Allow yourself to really think about that, folks. I want God through his son. I don't want anything else. And if the churches are not equal in every way to my relationship to them, I don't want them. I have, no, I have no reason to be part of them, and neither do you. What purpose do you have going to something that's inferior to your relationship with God and Christ directly? Fellowship? You can have that without a church. Bible study? You can do that with your friends. Communion? Well, then you're saying that it is kind of God there. So I don't know. You've got to ask yourself that question. Why do you want to give your time, your money, your attention, your devotion, your volunteerism, everything you've got during the week to a religion, to a pastor and his dream, if it's giving you something that is not what God and Christ are? If it's a club, you can get that too. The club mentality. If you want to belong to a group, you can get that somewhere too. So is that what the church is to you? A place where you, I love my church because, you know, we get to have outings and, you know, forget about God. I just really like my church. Well, you know, admit that to yourself and realize the high price you're paying to belong to something in God's name. The churches ought to do all they can to assist individuals in their subjective relationship with God and Christ and not one thing more and not one thing less, in my opinion. So what are the differences between the brick and mortars and God himself? First, I would suggest that individuals go directly to Jesus by the Spirit and relate to God accordingly. We do not go to God and Christ through a church. We don't. If we do, they're one and the same. They, they are, it's Jesus operating his church. You go and you reach him by going to that church. But if they are different, you have access to them all by yourself. And that's the way it's been since he died and ascended. And you don't need to go to the institution in order to keep that direct relationship going. So one of the initial differences between God and church is we go directly to God through Christ by the Spirit, and we don't need church or authorities to intervene, ever, never. No matter what the guys at the top try to make you think in any way, you don't need them. You do not need them when it comes to God and Christ and what God has done for us through his Son. If we can start understanding that, we can rearrange how things are done. 
So there is God, and then there are churches which may or may not represent him in his ways, but they are not the same, and all human beings have open access to God through his Son by faith in the Spirit. It's simple as that. Second, I would suggest that in our direct relationship with God in Christ, that God in Christ will never, ever, ever abuse you. They will not ever lie to you. They will not ever treat you or your family unjustly. They'll never manipulate you. They will never say, serve me just to keep you serving me for no other purpose. God in Christ will never, ever, ever do that to you in your direct relationship with him. If God wants you to serve him, it's for a reason that is directly between him and you. And you can trust that or not. It depends on the spirit. But when you put that intermediary in between you and they say serve us so that you can be serving them, don't believe it. If God and Jesus are not who they claim to be and they do manipulate us and they do hurt us and they lie to us and they harm us and they treat us unjustly, we can't trust them. You shouldn't trust them. They have to be good. That's what scripture says they are. That's what the spirit says they are good and love and kindness and gentleness and long suffering. So God has to be all those good things, all right? But God is not self-serving. He doesn't lie. He doesn't mislead. He doesn't cover his tracks as a mean to hide from the evil things that they might be involved in. Additionally, God is not a respecter of persons. God does not favor the poor over the rich. God does not favor the rich over the poor he is not a respecter of any persons ever. Therefore, he can't be bought. He can't be persuaded by men. Churches can and are constantly bought and persuaded by men. Look at it this way. I passed over a flock of 300 people, and one of the families in that congregation of 300 gives 60, 70, 80% of the money to the church. And there, there, uh, 10 tickets come up for a Christian opera. Very great Christian opera. Box seats at a fine theater. 10 tickets come free to the church of 300. The guy who has gives 60, 70, 80% of the income to the church, he wants five of those tickets. Do you think he's going to get five of those tickets? He's going to get five of those tickets because that's how it works in this world. And that's probably how it should work in this world. Those who give the most should probably benefit the most. That's a worldly system. So it would make sense that that would happen. In organized religion, that's how it works. But with God, the ways of the world are lost. He does not work off that standard. So we can see that a direct relationship with God is far superior to a relationship through the institution. There's another example. Additionally, I would suggest that in harmony with this last point, God doesn't play politics. Ever. He doesn't operate through political machinations. He is true and every man is a liar. So there's no Christian political party. None with God. There's no Christian party. Even though the, the right wing might try to suggest there is, there is not. There are communists who are Christians, who God loves the same as the capitalist right wing. There are Democrats. There are liberals. It is not political. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't love someone more because they are conservative or liberal in their political views. The churches make God political. That's not right. That's not what he's about. Now, we can see 
these things are said of religious institutions that claim to present him and his ways. They are never, ever part of him. Religious institutions promote themselves and those who are faithful to them, who serve them, pay them, and are part of them. They play politics, they show preference to people, they ostracize, they punish, they turn from uh, people and they can hurt them in innumerable ways. It can't be helped. Human beings, that's what humans do when we get together. It's not equivalent to the direct relationship with God. Here's the deal. If the institution ever serves itself over others or allows others to be harmed so it can protect itself, you know, some dastardly deed occurs on church property and the church covers it up, that's not God's ways. So we can see the operational uh, way that they go about doing things. Brick and mortars, not God. And then we know that those brick and mortars operate by a spirit. They operate by a mode, a zeitgeist, a form that is different than how God operates. And if they're operating by a spirit or a zeitgeist or a form that operates differently than God, then I would say this is an institution of man, possibly even an evil institution, because it's not the same spirit by which God operates by. We'll justify it. We'll say they're okay. I mean, that's just how it goes. You know, you got it. But that is not true. They have a spirit that is not only not of God. If it's not of God and they're claiming that it is of God, it's diabolical. Do you understand that? So approaching things this way, we can see right off the bat that there's enormous difference between religion and its institutions and God and our direct access to him through his son and by the spirit. The former will harm it will use and abuse people great and small. You can be a faithful couple going to church, going to your local church all the time. You can do all sorts of things. You can raise your family. And when your daughter turns 16 and wears a dress that's not real suitable, and some of the other stalwarts in the church have daughters who are dressed suitably, you're going to start to see the fangs in this thing. You don't see that with God. The former will harm Jesus and God will never harm that way. So why don't we push for all people to be emancipated from the confines and restrictions and manipulations of these brick and mortar churches by exposing them for what they are while promoting a direct relationship with God. This exposure is the hacking at the root. It's not looking at anyone individually. Those are the branches. It's trying to get to the root of what is it in these groups that they're after. Why have they thrived from the Catholic Church? I mean, we're talking Vatican. We're talking Salt Lake City. We're talking Mecca. We're talking all these places. Why do they thrive? By what spirit are they thriving in? We had a remarkable call last uh, uh, year, a couple weeks ago, where in defense of the Catholic Church, the caller actually said that it's been proven that within Catholicism, sexual abuse of children is less, is less than it is in Protestantism. <laughs> that is an insane fact to share. That the Catholics ought to be esteemed better because they molest less children than the Protestants. Isn't that insane? 
that somebody in their right mind would actually think that that's a justifiable thing to say? Put it this way, God will never molest your children. Jesus will never molest your children. God will not ostracize you or your family. God will not gossip about you. God will not look down on you because you don't have the right apparel or because you've been divorced like they'll do in, in some of the places. God will not cause you to give him money by coercion and by guilt or to build him a bigger house because he needs a bigger house in order to worship in heaven. God will never abandon you because of your failures in your flesh. Never. Because his son came and did what he needed to do. He loves you. He loves us as we are. Those groups, you have to fight hard to try to keep that out. I mean, we try it here in campus and we still have problems with people. It happens because we're human. There's not a religious institution on earth that will do it for you unfailingly. But there is a God who will do it for you unfailingly. So why do we keep going to this in order to find him when you can go directly to him? People ask me you know, over the years with Mormonism, what should I do? I'm, I'm searching for truth. I don't know what to do. I say, go to God. Go right up to a mountain. Go right up there and sit up there for a week. Whatever you do. Don't believe me. Don't believe your bishop. Don't believe that pastor down there. Go directly to God. Ask him, hey, I'm not sure you even exist. Tell him, I'm not even sure I know what you are. I want to know though. Talk to me. Give it over. He'll read your heart. And he will respond. More and more, I believe that less and less people are going to play the brick and mortar game as the decades and, and century goes on. So I know we're uh, in time and we have a call from New Jersey, but I want to keep going here. Because religious institutions will always serve themselves, they are operating, they must be operated on principles that are not the principles by which God operates. I, I want to emphasize that. If they're operating on principles that God would not do to you, then those principles are not of God. If they're operating on principles that are not biblically maintained, like tithes, I'm sorry, but that one really bugs me. If that is not a biblical stance that you can maintain through the New Testament, the New Covenant, it's not of God. And if they harm others, even just occasionally, even just one person, because God never harms any, they are evil. They cannot be trusted. If you have an institution that harms one person in any way, justifies itself, harms them, they are not of God because God does not harm. I know the justifications. Finally, when we know we can go directly to God through his spirit, through Christ, for answers, we likewise know we can never ever trust the institution to give us the straight dope on things. Uh, they are not built to speak the truth. They are built to protect themselves. They are built to get you to conform to their mission statements. They're built to get you to accept their denominational standards. So while a person can go directly to God, seeking truth, ask him questions, seek for answers, and they can come, they will come, uh, the institutions will forever protect the institution. And it will forever make sure that it survives before the individual. God is not afraid of truth. Uh, my good friend Richard sent me this incisive statement 
by a non-Christian philosopher named Krishnamurti. Krishnamurti. Listen closely to this genius quote. Religious organizations become as fixed and as rigid as the thoughts of those who belong to them. Life is a constant change, a continual becoming, a ceaseless revolution. And because an organization can never be pliable, it stands in the way of change. It becomes reactionary to protect itself. The search for truth is individual, not congregational. To commune with the real, there must be aloneness, not isolation, but freedom from all influence and opinion. Organizations of thought inevitably become hindrances to thought. It's so succinct. It's a beautiful quote. He says perfectly the problem. So did the early church gather together? Of course they did. Should we? Why not? Fellowship is wonderful. But we can do this in a completely different way than it's been historically and traditionally been done. And we can do it to where people are not uh, burdened with the yoke of religion. We can do it where they're not burdened financially. They're not burdened with their time. They're not burdened with anything else. If they want to get together socially, they can. But the church is there to teach the, teach the word and let them decide for themselves how they want to receive that. No policing is necessary, nothing else. I'm going to cut it off there, Delaney and Kathy Maggs, and finish up more of this as we talk about it because there's some people that we're going to resort to. I just want to tell you, to understand the things of God, Scripture says you have to have the Spirit of God. But before saying that, Scripture says to understand the things of man, you have to understand the spirit of man. So what we're going to do is we're going to use the spirit of man to understand the man-made institutions. God doesn't talk very much about what goes on in man-made institutions. Why? Because it's the spirit of man that understands them. So I'm going to go back to some, some people that have greatly affected my life over the years as I have studied this stuff back in my lost years and um, really came to understand what stuff was about. And we're going to talk about... Uh, um, great thinkers and great Rollo May and Eric Fromm and, and, uh, and Hegel and Kierkegaard and Sartre. And, and we're going to talk about Thomas Gilovich. And we're going to talk about um, Eric Hoffer. And we're going to talk about these guys, Ayn Rand. We're going to look at how, what men and the great thinkers of man say about what is motivating this. And that's all going to lead us to looking to a guy named Noam Chomsky. And Chomsky is going to help us understand exactly what that root is and what it's there for and then how to avoid it in the future. So that's going to be the first part of the year as we move forward. We have several phone calls. Let's take a look at this spot. We'll come back and take them right back. focus on the LDS Church because I was LDS for 40 years. I understand it well from first-hand experience. And uh, that's kind of where God has put me to talk about Mormonism. Part of that discussion includes talking about Christianity. We've discovered that you don't just have a discussion about Mormonism because what happens is you bring people out of the Mormon Church 
and then they're left with uh, quite a mess in the Christian church. So I talk about both. I was LDS for 40 years. I've now been a Christian for nearly 20, and I understand both sides, and that's where my heart is. That's where God has put us, so that's what I do. We got Keith in Elizabeth, New Jersey, who's a multiple caller. He's argue, he's an arguer, and he's Catholic. But first, we're going to go to Ryan in Leesburg, Virginia. Ryan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Happy, Happy New Year. Good to have you. Okay. Hey, Sean, uh, I have just only two questions. Uh, is it necessary to get your name out of the LDS Church before you start attending on any other churches? Or no? I don't think so. You don't think so? You can okay. do it. I, I tell people to do it just because it sends a message to the church that they're losing people and maybe they ought to change things. But uh, you don't have to do it. Okay. And one other thing, Sean. Um, according to your knowledge, like as a Christian, are we supposed to follow the law of tithing all the time? I mean 10%? Or is it a free will or free gift or free responsible, whatever you want to give to the church? Um, well, let me give you a quick backstory to that subject. In the, yes. New, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, uh -huh. in the Gospels, Jesus talks about tithes maybe two or three times, but it's always in reference to it being abused or not, or not being lived right by the Pharisees. Never once is it talked about in terms of something that believers in him need to do. And then when you get into uh, the epistles of uh, Peter and James and John and Paul, it's never, ever talked about at all as anything. And here's why. It's part of the law. They'll argue it's not part of the law, but it's part of the law. And here's why, uh, uh, Ryan, if you say to somebody you need to tithe, which means 10%, and people, mm -hmm. Christians will say that's a minimum, which really drives me nuts, if you say, are, uh, we, you got to tithe or you should tithe, then we are beholden to a law. And that is, do I, have I paid my 10%? And then those who pay their 10% believe themselves to be better than those who don't. And those who don't pay 10%, they might pay eight, they might pay one, they might pay none. They feel themselves worse. And so what God said yes. is, listen, we're not going to use laws in my church. Jesus says my church is going to be governed by faith and love. And if you feel like you said, Ryan, if you feel like giving something, give something. If you don't feel like giving something, don't give it. It's got to be from a cheerful heart. It's got to be. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's got to be from your cheerful and responsible heart. That's right. Not a law of Okay. Not law and not compulsion. Oh. And you know, I firmly believe if you go back to the Old Testament all the way through, never were widows and the poor. Uh, the poor were giving like smaller birds and things, but they were not tithing in the same way. The church back in the Old Testament was taking care of the widows. And yet there are churches that will put widows and the people on a limited fixed income and the poor, and they will use tithes and offerings on them just to make sure that they have enough money coming in. And it is a sin. It's a crime. It's not biblically supported. And I'll argue with anybody who tries to say that it is. Okay. Okay, thank you for your insight, man. You're welcome, my I mean, brother. I haven't taken okay. I haven't taken my name yet from the LDS Church. I mean, they are trying to get hold of me like uh, crazy from my old word, 
from the new world. They are trying to get hold of me. Hey, we need to talk to you. Can we get hold of you? I always just decline. I just say I'm so busy. Well, if that's oh. bugging you, then take your name off and ask him to leave you alone. But if, you know, in reality, Ryan, they don't take your name off. They never do. Uh, I was excommunicated. My name's still on there. All it says is Sean McCraney, NM, non-member. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. God bless you, Sean. Same to you, my brother. Take care. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. I thought this was an almond. This is an olive seed that was left on my table by some little boy uh, named my grandsons. Let's go to Keith, our Catholic friend from Elizabeth, New Jersey. Keith, you're back on the air. I am. How are you, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I haven't listened live for the last 20 minutes, so I don't know where you're at. But just wanted to follow up. Uh, I listened to your response uh, last week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just wanted to comment that um, what I was using was a reductio ad absurdum, which is a type of argument you uh, use an absurdity to show the problem with the person's premises. And what I was getting at was not about the abortion, per se. Oh. Um, was about sin in general, but specifically when I talked about referring to what Paul did, um, yeah. I was referring to the incest. And Paul denounced incest and kicked people out of the church for having the unrepentant incest. In 1 Corinthians 5.11, Paul said you shouldn't even eat with a self-proclaimed believer who lives with such unrepentant sin. Okay, can I ask you something? Uh-huh. Was that written to you? First uh, Corinthians five eleven, yeah, it was a principle that he made, he gave to the Christians. Yes. What, was it written to you? It's written to the the church. It's written to uh, Christianity church, the, in general. The, yes. No, wait, the church where? It applies to all Christians. The church where? Where was church it? Church where? Yeah, it was to the church. What at Corinth, right? Doesn't it yeah, say at the beginning? Uh, what Peter said it was scripture, so it's a plot, It's more than just to the Corinthians. Well, no, he said it was scripture, but, scripture it, but, but no, you're, you're just believing that's what he meant. But just because Peter said that Paul's writings were scripture, he could have meant right. there was scripture to the people Paul addressed it to, which was to the church at Corinth. That's who he had wrote it to. Uh -huh. This is to the saints at Corinth. He doesn't say this is to all saints. Now you have decided to take that and apply it here 2000 years later to your life. If you're going to do uh -huh. that, you need to do that with everything that's in scripture. You can't just decide that what Paul says about incest is applicable to you today and not take everything else. So let me ask you something. In Acts chapter 15, uh -huh. James gives advice to the Gentiles. He says, this is what advice I have about idol worship, fornication, eating things that are strangled and not eating blood. Have you ever eaten a rare steak? It's talking about... Um, I'll have to go downstairs one sec. That is talking about the pagan practices they would do sacrifices to the pagan gods. Can't, do There's you eat blood? Do you, are you allowed, pagan sacrifices. are you allowed don't to, take part. are you allowed to eat blood, is my question. Am I allowed to eat blood? Yes. Right, you, I, I want to know if you're, you're allowed to eat blood. I'm interpreting a scripture, right. Are, are you allowed, not, are you allowed to eat blood? What that scripture was talking about, hold on, no, I don't drink blood, but okay. the, do, no, wait, do you, wait a second, wait, no, stop, wait, 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 stop right here. Let's just have a, let's have a give and take. Right. You don't eat, you ever have a rare steak? Um, it's cooked blood. What, what are you, what are you getting at? It's not a pagan god sacrifice. 
It has nothing to do. It, it's about blood because it goes back to Leviticus, where you cannot eat blood uh -huh. because blood carries the life in it, and that's why they would not right. allow you to eat a strangled animal. Do you know if any of the animals right. you've eaten in your life have been strangled? Um, I'm not, they're not sacrificed to pagan gods, so that's what that's about. It's strangled to... No, 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 no. It's not just the pagan gods. It's strangled animals, too, because strangled animals haven't had the blood let out of them. And it was the Jewish uh, law... 15, uh, no, Act 15 no, is written to former pagans. I, no, it was written to Gentiles, it's which is what you are. You're right. a Gentile, and so they, am they I. Were, they were pagan? No, they were pagan converts. Listen, okay. It's about circumcision... It was about circumcision, whether or not they had to become Jews, so it doesn't and what, what former okay. practices they had okay. to give up. I'll agree with you. I'll about. agree with you. Do, so it doesn't apply to you, then? Right, so the church has to interpret that verse Okay. what that verse so means. So there are passages in the Bible that don't apply to you. The principles, now, the moral principles always apply. Well, who says? Who says the, the body of Christ, the church, Jesus speaking through his church? His church interpret. being the Catholic church. Right. And well, we're back to the same place years. we were before. Right. Buddy, it ain't going to work. Go, go to your Pope. Go to your right. Eucharist. Go to your Mary. Do all your rosaries. Do what you want. I don't care. If you believe Jesus okay. Christ, wait, let me finish. If you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, I don't care what you do, Keith. But don't call here uh -huh. and try to use the scripture because you failed already. You've decided that incest <laughs> that Paul was talking about. You decided right. that incest is applicable, but incest, eating is strangled principle. animals or drinking blood is not applicable. You have done incest a resting a of the scripture. Principle. Do you agree incest is a moral issue? I believe that incest is a reality in the human world. Do I love it? No. Do I like it? No. Do I is agree it with it? No. Issue? Is it a sin? Is it a moral yes. Issue? It's a sin. Yes. Sure. But you know what? Okay. So is pride. Okay. So is whether or not you're eating hemoglobin is a different question than whether or not you're having sex with your sister. No, there's no difference. Sin is sin, absurd. brother. If it's God absurd. commanded it, sin is sin. James, the leader okay. of the church, but, said, don't eat blood. Bottom line, don't do it. Uh -huh. He wrote it to those right, people. It's about paganism. Right, it's Whatever about it's about, he said don't do it. I wanted to get to a different comment. I wanted to get to a different comment when I call it in. Okay, get right. to a different comment. Can I, can I comment this? You can. Yes. You can. Go ahead. Okay. The way that I'm kind of viewing you now, I understand where you're coming from. I understand some of your frustration, okay? But the way that I'm seeing, the way that you have developed in the past couple of years, I don't listen to you like every week or anything, but I catch you like off and on, right? And what I've seen, what I think I see here is, it's sort of a situation where I live right around New York City. I work in New York City. Mm -hmm. And you come across all the time these women who are these radical lesbian feminazis, and it turns out, in their past, they had been abused by a former boyfriend or husband. Okay. And then they leave, they leave, and they become radical lesbians, feminists, and they hate all men. They conflate all men together because they had a very bad history with a man before. Every one That's of how them? I'm seeing how you are reacting to the idea of a, what you call brick-and-mortar church. Let me ask you something. Is that every one of those lesbians? Every one of them? Every oh, one in New York City? No. Okay, I didn't so say that. But there are those who do it. That does happen too, and I'm saying that you're one of those types. Okay, and so your and your your assessment is absolutely correct. Yep. Good for it's you. Not a rational response, though, is it? No, it's a very rational response. Yeah, so it, it is. It's rational for a woman to hate all men because she was abused by a former man. Well, man you know, it, it's how we are as humans. When you get screwed over by a right. certain people type long enough, you decide yep. I'm not Agreed. going to like that people type. For instance, 
There are boys that have been in the Catholic Church who have been molested by your priests. They don't like the Catholic Church anymore. Should they be running around loving the Catholic Church still, Keith? No. You have bad experiences and you say, I'm going to learn from this. Some of us get mad by those bad experiences and we fight back. I'm one of those guys. But the response is not, the response is not an irrational response, though. If, if I was molested by a Catholic priest, that would mean that Catholic priest himself was evil. It doesn't mean the teachings of the Catholic Church are evil. Okay, well, then carry on. I don't if know what I to tell you. If I was molested by you, let's say I started going to your church and I got molested by you. It's <laughs> not going to happen, I'm sure. But let's say it's it. Oh, right? you never know. It doesn't mean that your teachings are incorrect. Okay, that doesn't mean that your group is necessarily wrong. How much justification do you want to give yourself, Keith? When are you going to wake up, dude? When will you wake up to the facts? You have bought into a system, hook, line, and sinker, that you don't need. Jesus came, the veil was torn down, you can look to him by the Spirit and live. I don't like institutions, especially yours. You by the Spirit. Look at the institutions. Listen, the institutions have all proven themselves faulty. Why would I give my allegiance to an institution? Show me one that has not proven itself faulty. Show me one. Okay, Peter was a racist. Hun. Peter was a racist. Paul was a murderer. Um, other other apostles didn't write anything, and they fled. Thomas ran out to India and didn't even preach. And then uh, all so all the apostles themselves were very faulty, fallen humans, murderers even, and yet you're taking their words of Scripture. Maybe if you want to follow that logic, throw out the Scriptures too. I follow, follow that logic. Yourself. I fo- Wait a minute. You. Wait, let me tell you why, uh-huh. Keith. Keith, let me give you my reason why. Uh-huh. I follow that logic because Jesus taught them, and he chose them, okay? He uh-huh. didn't choose. He worked, through, he worked through sinners, right? Of course. Yeah, they he were sinful men. a racist men. and a murderer to write Scripture. He did, and he taught them, and they listened to him. And they change. He can work through sinners today, and he does. I'm not saying he me. doesn't work through sinners. He works through you. He, he works through. He works, he works through, through all of this mess. But I do not believe he is happy and condoning institutional religion. And I have that right to suggest that everybody can go to God without it. You want to come in and you want to proselytize for the Catholic Church. Good luck. Good luck. Uh-huh. I, I, I just don't think that you and I are going to agree, so let's just disagree and hang up. You don't have to call or watch again. Uh-huh. But I'll never agree no, that no. the Catholic Church has served a wonderful, beneficial thing to the world in terms of people knowing God. I'm sorry. You'll never convince okay, me well, of that. Right. Okay, I understand. I used, to be, I used to not be Catholic either, right? And I thought the Catholic Church was evil as well, right? I thought the Pope would be the Antichrist and all of that. I don't think but, he's the Antichrist. I think I'm, he's a man. I'm, I understand. I know you didn't say that. But my, my, my point is, and I, hasn't, I haven't always been Catholic. I researched the history. I read what happened was I, I was an evangelical Protestant, and I wanted to find out what the early church believed. And I went back and I started reading the early church, not as they were equal with Scripture, but I, I believed the Barnacle theory that the early church was basically Protestant, and then after Nicaea, it turned to Catholic, and the pagan Catholics took over everything. Yeah. I went back and I read everything before Nicaea, and I said, wow, these guys were Catholic, I couldn't find any proto-Protestants, and I had to accept the early church was Catholic. More, pro- more, more proselytizing. In the, first century, in the first century, they had bishops. They were approved by the apostles. We have that historically. You don't have any approval. I might not like the bishops. I'm in New York. I don't like Cardinal Dolan. Sorry, this is probably going to be in the air. God, you're I don't so like Catholic, Cardinal dude. Dolan. I, can hardly... I don't know. I can't, I can't judge the state of his soul, right? I can't. But just because I don't Keith. like a bishop or I think they're wrong Keith. does not mean... You have, Keith, you have your right to be a Catholic. 
don't call, uh-huh. don't but don't call and proselytize for how you were once a Protestant, but you searched and Keith, Look, Keith, and, wait, let me finish. I, 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 I wait, Keith, Keith, I let you finish. Let me finish. Don't proselytize. Don't proselytize that you, Keith, in New York, have discovered that the Catholic Church is not the evil empire you once thought. We hear that from the Mormons. Sean, I went back and I researched. The Mormon church is not what you are saying it is. You know, it's just religion. All I'm trying to say, Keith, is for people who uh-huh. see religion differently than you, there's a way, uh-huh. and that is to just drop it altogether and go to God. That's all. If you don't like that, uh-huh. that's okay. All right? No, well, the thing is, wait, I don't, I don't believe that any, all non-Catholics are completely unable to... Uh, get to God. I don't know. Completely unable. That's not what Catholics believe. Yeah, okay. Well, we can break down the nuances between the minutia and what you have to do and what you don't have to do. But bottom line, you're promoting the Catholic Church and you're saying that it's better than what I think it is and I don't believe that. So we have a difference of opinion. Okay, have you researched it? Have you honestly researched it? Not from Catholic sources, not from, you know, an evangelical Protestant pastor or something. I'll give you secular sources to talk about the actual history. Okay, I'll tell you what. I will wait. I will research the entirety of the Catholic Church. If okay, you can fine. tell, if you can okay, tell fine. me, no wait. For instance, you believe the crusade? Okay, go on. If you can tell me <laughs> that calling a man father is biblical. Yeah, because Paul said that he was spiritual father to his own flock. What did Jesus say? Did Jesus did Jesus say call no man father? Did he say that or not? Did he say call no man father? Right, he was, he was rebuking the, the Jew, uh, Jewish, uh, what do you call it, synagogue system. Okay, again, you have a context to dismiss that. This is religion. I don't, dis- I don't say I, you can't do that, man Keith. Teacher. First Corinthians 12, there are teachers. I, the God appoints teachers. teachers. How do you reconcile those two? Either Father. Jesus contradicted Paul, or Jesus was referring to something different. He's not he's just referring Paul to the was word teacher to or some, the word or Paul, father. He's talking about the rabbinical system. Or Paul was referring to something different. Listen, you have your mind made up. Or Paul. I, Keith, we're out of time. I respect your mind to be made up. You're going to die and go to heaven. You'll probably enter there with a, a, with a red carpet, and I'll be struggling to open the gates. I don't really care. All, I, all I'm telling you, Keith, is you will never you'll never convince me that Catholicism okay. is better than a direct relationship to God. Okay? Okay, how about this? Uh, real, real quick, how about this? What is the number one problem you have with the Catholic Church? Like, is it a historical thing you're saying that's evil? My number, I don't have a number one problem. I just, it's an institution. They have elaborate buildings. They take money. They sold indulgences. They molest boys. They cover it up. I have a problem with Uh institutions, Keith. They covered it up. It's all over. It's known. They had nuns giving abortions because the priests got them pregnant. They don't let their priests get married. I can go on and on. I don't like the Eucharist. I don't like their views of Mariology. I mean, how many? Uh, I, I just, what you said was you asked me a question, and I'm trying to give it to you, but you're not letting me. Fu- get, okay, so I have a lot of okay, problems sorry. with the institution. 
But I don't believe Catholics are bad. I believe Catholics are some of the most devout people who love God. I just think they'd be better off without that, that box, that trap. We got to go. We're out of time. Keep watching, my brother. Thanks for calling. All right. Keith always adds some flavor to it. Uh, and you got to decide for yourself. I, right now, we have to be in the place where it is up to you. And I have to say, look, you want to be Catholic, be Catholic. But I tell you, I would love nothing more than for the Catholic Church to just wave the white flag and start selling off their assets, giving all their churches to the, to the poor and, and getting smaller places or whatever for the people to come and, and just boiling it down for the rest of all their congregates to be free and to say, you know, we've kind of kept you guys in bondage. We've kept you in the shadows. We haven't told you everything. Everything's not right in our house. We've acquired a lot of gold. We own a city for God's sake called the Vatican. We got a pope who sits up there, Vita Visa Vici, with it on his hat. You know, you know, come on, come on, the Pope Mobile. I want you guys to be free from that. I don't want you to mass around there when he comes and I'll wave your hands at the Pope as he's going through. The Pope should say, sit down, look to God, look to Jesus alone. Whatever. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride. Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out I'm going in This man's awake A storm's arising the dawn's waiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start 